excited about next year's tour. If you have a Bible today, I want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 42. All week, everything that our students have been doing, they've been wanting to point people through those things to Jesus. And that's what the story of Joseph in the Old Testament does. We've been walking through the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, a sermon series we're calling No Average Joe. And what we're learning is that there's a greater story within the story. Are y'all cold in here, by the way? If you're cold, say, I. If you're not cold, say, I. I tried, cold people. I tried. <laughs> I told my brother earlier, because he controls the thermostats, he's got like some kind of a voodoo machine that he can do it from his seat. And after the first hour, I said, hey, um, it was cold in there. He said, it's the same that it's been every week. And I said, well, I think there's less bodies because we're in two services. And so I was a little chilly, not as chilly, but a little chilly. The second one, so how are y'all feeling? So now I know, now I know. Bright, don't touch a thing, apparently. <laughs> y'all are so Baptist to the core. <laughs> Can't agree on nothing I'm talking about. Well, the story of Joseph points to a greater story, which is the story of Jesus. And let me just kind of catch you up if you're sort of new to what we've been talking about through here, some similarities that we've discussed. Joseph was loved by his father. He was sent by his father on a mission. He was rejected by the very ones that he was sent to. They, uh, they betrayed him. They abused him. They conspired against him. They thought that they had seen the last of him, but Joseph was destined to reign. And then we get to chapter 42, we find that Joseph has now ascended to the right hand of Pharaoh. Is, is that sounding familiar? He's told Pharaoh that God spoke to him through a dream, that there's going to be seven years of a tremendous harvest, and then seven years of a famine that's going to be so terrible, nobody's even going to remember how great the harvest was in the seven years prior. And so Pharaoh has given Joseph oversight of Egypt and that entire situation, all right? So you're tracking with me here? He was loved by his father, just like Jesus, sent on a mission from his father, just like Jesus. He was rejected by his people, just like Jesus, conspired against, abused, betrayed, and thought they had seen the last of him, just like Jesus. But he was destined to reign, just like Jesus. At the end of chapter 41, he's given a Gentile bride, just like Jesus. The Gentile bride of Jesus is, of course, called the church. And then there's seven years of a great harvest, just like we've been experiencing in the last 2,000 years in this thing called the church age. And then there's going to be this seven years of famine there in Egypt. And I'm telling you that this tremendous harvest that we've been in called the church age is any moment going to come to a conclusion. And there's going to be seven years of, you might call it a famine, or you might call it a tribulation in this world world like the world has never known. Now, I don't know if you're connecting the dots here today, but I'm telling you the book of Revelation is in the book of Genesis. And just so you know, the book of Genesis is also in the book of Revelation because he's going to make all things new. There's a new Genesis coming, a new heaven and a new earth that God is creating. Think about this. The book of Genesis was written 2,000 years before the book of Revelation. 
And yet what's spoken about in Revelation is found in Genesis. And you're finding it hard to believe that what's going to happen perhaps any moment in our lifetime was spoken about 2,000 years ago. You find that unbelievable? I'm telling you, it is nothing to God to connect dots that are 2,000 years apart. So let's get to chapter 42. And I just want to put this heading over the whole chapter here this morning. Here it is. One righteous man. One righteous man saves the entire world from physical famine and death. One righteous man is going to save the world in chapter 42 of physical famine and death. And here's what we're going to find in chapter 42. Chapter 42 of Genesis shows us today how the one who has been sinned against against deals with those who have sinned against him. The one who has been sinned against, how does he deal with those that have sinned against him? I'm going to show you a couple of things. Number one is this. I want you, first of all, see this is a life or death situation. It's a life or death situation. Chapter 42, verse 1, when Jacob heard, Jacob is Joseph's father, right? When Jacob heard that grain was available in Egypt, there's famine, they're hungry. And he says to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy enough grain to keep us alive Otherwise, we'll die. That's the options on the table. Die or live. You know, when people come to understand the dire situation of their physical need, they will do things that they might not otherwise have been inclined to do. How many of you, maybe you had a heart attack or knew somebody that had some kind of health scare, then all of a sudden, because the direness of the physical situation surfaced to the top, suddenly we're willing to make some changes in our life. The same thing is true spiritually. When people begin to realize the direness of their spiritual situation, that they literally are facing a life or death situation, eternal life or eternal death. Until people realize the direness of their spiritual situation, they're not likely to take any action to find salvation in Christ. It's important that they know that. The second thing that I want you to see is these sinners, Joseph's brothers, they think they can buy their salvation. Verse 3 says, so Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain. But Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. Jacob is a helicopter parent. Hello? Any helicopter parent? Don't raise your hand, kids. Mama will get you. She'll get you. That's what he is. Verse 5. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with others to buy food, for the famine was in Canaan as well. They're coming with their money. They're starving. We're going to buy salvation from starvation. Today in our world, spiritually speaking, a lot of people think they can buy salvation. They think they can be good enough. They can live a good enough life. They can give enough. They can go to church enough. They think they can earn a ticket to salvation and to eternal life, and to heaven. But the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, it is by grace that you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God so that nobody can boast. Third thing I want you to see is this. They go to the only one who's been authorized to give bread. There's only one in the land that's been authorized to give life, and his name is Joseph. Verse 6 says, since Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. Salvation from starvation was found in none other. There was one name 
under which you could find salvation from starvation, and that name is Joseph. Spiritually speaking, there is one name under heaven by which you can find salvation from sin's condemnation, and that name is Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I'm a way with a definite article. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. There's life nowhere else. The place he was born, Bethlehem, means house of bread. If you're looking for living bread, living water, eternal life, it's found in him and him alone. Fourth thing I want you to see, Joseph recognized those who had sinned against him long before they recognized him. Verse 7 says, Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from, he demanded. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. Let me remind you today, if you're a child of God, long before you recognized God, he was recognizing you. Long before you knew God, he knew you. It's not like we recognized him and went running to him. He saw us, knew us, and came running to us to save us. Job writes in chapter 36, verse 26, Behold, God is exalted, and we do not know him. And then the story gets strange. Joseph kind of starts messing with his brothers here a little bit, which shouldn't be surprising. If you've been tracking along with us with the story of Joseph, you know that he comes from a long line of family members who could really think quick on their feet. And so he starts messing with his brothers here. And you may read this and think, why does he do that? If he's mad... Why doesn't he just have them executed? He's got the authority to do that if he wants to. If he's mad, why doesn't he just toss them into the same prison that he's been in for the last decade or so? If he's not mad, why doesn't he just say, hey, guys, it's me. It's me. You're never going to believe this story. But he doesn't do that. Why the charades? Here's why I think. Joseph wants a relationship with his brothers. He wants to be reconciled to his brothers. He wants to have a relationship with them, but he doesn't know if they want to have a relationship with him. Are they the same manipulative, lying bunch of scoundrels that they've always been? And so what Joseph is doing here is he's putting them to the test so that what's in their heart might be revealed. Look at verse 9. Joseph remembered the dreams he had had about them many years before. He had dreamed, right, that they were going to bow down before him. And he says to them, you're spies. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. No, my Lord, they exclaimed, your servants have simply come to buy food. We are all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men, sir. (laughs) Okay. We're not spies. Yes, you are, Joseph insisted. You've come to see how vulnerable our land has become. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, son of a man living in the land of Canaan. This is the first time in all these years that Joseph comes to know my dad's still alive. He's still alive. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. He's talking about Benjamin. That's Joseph's only full brother. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. 
And they're talking about the guy they're standing right there in front of, right? But Joseph insisted, as I said, you're spies. This is how I will test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you will never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. He wants to see him, right? One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. So Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I am a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. If you really are honest men, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. This is a hostage negotiation going down right here. The rest of you can go home with grain for your starving families, but you must bring your youngest brother back to me. This will prove that you're telling the truth and you will not die. And to this, they agreed. Joseph is putting this hard situation on them. He's putting this burden on them. And it turns out to be a really good thing. You know why? Because it makes them see their situation. It makes them look back at the way they've lived their lives. God deals with us that same way too. Oftentimes, God will allow us to find ourselves in a place or in a situation where we begin to have to come to terms with choices we've made, decisions that we've made, sins that we've committed against God. And that's what starts happening to the brothers. Look at verse 21. Speaking among themselves. Now, they're they're like the students on choir tour. Right? They're speaking one language. Joseph and the Egyptians are speaking another language, and they don't think that Joseph can understand their language. So they're having this conversation, and he knows every single word that they're saying. Watch this. Speaking among themselves, they said, Clearly, we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. Now, wouldn't you like to see the look on Joseph's face when you heard them say that in Hebrew? We saw his anguish. When he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's where if I was Joseph, I'd have killed him right there. Done. Done. I'm not a type of Christ. Joseph is, okay? That's why he didn't pick me to play this story, all right? They said, that's why we're in this trouble. Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, Reuben asked? But you wouldn't listen. And now we have to answer for his blood. See, look, they're not denying their sin anymore. They're not minimizing their sin anymore. They're not trying to cover it and sweep it under the rug anymore. For all these years, they've been carrying it around like an elephant sitting on their chest, and now they freely admit, we've done wrong. We deserve punishment. Justice should come to us. Their sin was thought to be what brought the death of Joseph, but God raised him up, and our sin was what was thought to bring the death of Jesus, but God also raised him up. Verse 23, of course, they didn't know that Joseph understood them, for he had been speaking to them through an interpreter. By the way, did you know that when Jesus first started speaking to you, he spoke through another? He spoke through his Holy Spirit to you. The fifth thing I want you to see And this gets a little stunning here. Sinners get mercy. Sinners get mercy. Look at verse 24. Now he turned away from them and began to weep. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. They deserve justice, right? But they got mercy. 
They got compassion. Joseph's heart was moved. His tears flowed. Justice is what they deserve, but mercy is what they got. Mercy means they didn't get what they had coming. They got off the hook. They deserved to be put in that same prison that Joseph had spent his entire 20s in. That's what they deserved. But they got mercy instead. But it doesn't stop there. Sinners didn't just get mercy. Sinners also got grace. Mercy means you didn't get what you had coming. Grace means you got better. You got more. You got blessings you don't deserve. Look at verse 25. Joseph then ordered his servants to fill the men's sacks with grain. Watch this. But he also gave secret instructions to return each brother's payment at the top of his sack. You can't buy this salvation. He also gave them supplies for their journey home. So the brothers loaded their donkeys with the grain and headed for home. That is pure grace. Just to get grain was grace. But they didn't just get grain. They got silver. They got provisions for the journey home. When they left the presence of the one that they had sinned against, they left with more. They didn't leave with equal to what they had when they got there. When they left the presence of the one they had sinned against, they left with more. That's grace. Verse 27, but when they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get grain for his donkey. He found his money in the top of his sack. Look, he exclaimed to his brothers, my money's been returned. It's here in my sack. Then their hearts sank. You know what it feels like when your heart sinks? Like you're about to throw up. Like, like the whole avalanche of anxiety. Wham! And that's what they're feeling right now. Trembling. They said to each other, what has God done to us? Something's happened here. Somebody's setting us up to incriminate us. What is going on? When the brothers came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him everything that had happened to them. The man who is governor of the land spoke very harshly to us. They told him he accused us of being spies, scouting the land. But we said, we're honest men, not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One brother is no longer with us. And the youngest is at home with our father in the land of Canaan. Then the man who is governor of the land told us, this is how I will find out if you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take grain for your starving families and go on home. But you must bring your youngest brother back to me. And Jacob's over there going, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, that ain't happening. Then I will know you're honest men, not spies. Then I'll give you back your brother, and you may trade freely in the land. As they emptied out their sacks, there in each man's sack was the bag of money he paid for the grain. The brothers and their father were terrified when they saw the bags of money. Has not Jesus treated you just like that? Let me tell you what, that's my story. Justice is what I deserve, but grace is what I got. What I deserved was for the sack to be pulled down over my head and to be tossed into the sea. But what I got was a sack full of mercy and a sack full of grace. And funny thing is, I wake up every single morning and it's full all over again. Mercy's new every day. Grace sufficient for every moment of my life. He provided my salvation and didn't charge me a dime for it. I've wronged him so many times. And yet day after day, Schuyler, he just loads me up with more grace, more mercy, more provisions. Verse 36, Jacob exclaimed, 
You're robbing me of my children. Joseph's gone. Simeon's gone. And now you want to take Benjamin too. Everything is going against me. Isn't it funny? Sometimes God is working for us. And we think it's all working out for bad. We don't understand it. We resist. Then Reuben said to his father, you may kill my two sons if I don't bring Benjamin back to you. I'll be responsible for him, and I promise to bring him back. But Jacob replied, watch this, my son will not go down with you. His brother Joseph is dead, watch, and he is all I have. Jacob was a follower of Yahweh, just like many of you claim to be followers of Yahweh, Jesus. And anytime a follower of Jesus says, this, this is all I have. I'm not turning loose of this. I'm not letting go of this. My hope is in this. My life is in, is in this. My identity is in this. This is all I have, and I'm not letting this go. Whenever we do that, we are guilty of idolatry. We're saying Christ is not enough. His mercy is not enough. His grace is not enough. Who he is is not enough. I got to have this, and I'm never going never gonna to let it go. Jacob says, if anything should happen to him on your journey, you would send this grieving, white-haired man to his grave. Jacob has the same problem with Benny that he had with Joe. He's elevated his child to a place no parent should ever elevate their child. To a place where we would say, my child's more important to me than even God. My child's more important to me, and I, I'm going to oh, wrap my fingers around what I have, and I'm never, ever going to turn loose of that. And I don't know what that thing may be today that you're hanging on to. It, it's, it's your career. It's your retirement. It's your peace of mind. It's your family. I don't know what it is, but this is not the posture that the people of God are to have before God. Jacob is saying, little Benny, he's my life. He's my everything. I'm not taking my eyes off him. I'm not releasing him. I'm not going to trust God with him. I'm going to trust me with him. I, I, I trust me with Benny more than I trust God with Benny. Here's what Jesus says, Matthew 10, 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you're not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you ref refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you, look, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. And we leave chapter 42 with Jacob clinging to Benjamin for dear life. He's got a choice to make. And his choice is not only going to affect him, and it's not only going to affect Benjamin, it's going to affect a whole lot of people. And you got that same choice in front of you this morning, and it's not only going to affect you, it's going to affect a whole lot of people. And here's the choice. I can either just keep hanging on and trusting me more than I trust God, or I can trust the word of the one on the throne. That's Jacob's decision. Do I put my trust in me? Or do I put my trust in the one on the throne? I believe today God 
desires to have a one-on-one conversation with a lot of us in this room today. I've lived long enough that I can tell you living like that is such a horrible way to live. Living in such a way that I'm saying I, I trust me more than I do God. He will not be the captain of this ship. Oh no, that's me. I'm telling you today, you're losing your life. You're losing your life, just like Jesus said. You're losing it to fear, to anxiety, to sleeplessness, to anger when things don't go the way you wanted them to go. You're losing, you're losing, you're losing. And today Jesus is inviting you, make the call. Trust you or trust the word of the one on the throne. Some of you sit here today and you know, you know, you don't need me to tell you, you know what God has set before you. And you're not going to get out of this room today until you make your choice. In whom do I place my trust? So God, we bow our hearts before you today. And I know, God, we may have come into this room running from you. We don't want to have this conversation. We may have come into this room hiding from you, God we don't want to have this conversation. We might have come into this room today hurting because we've refused to have this conversation. And yet, God, you love us and there's mercy and grace. And today you're inviting us to take that heavy backpack off of our shoulders and to drop it and to trust you with everything that's inside of it. And to walk out of here today with our confidence in the word of the one who's sitting on the throne. Holy Spirit, would you set us free from the grip of self-trust and idolatry and set us free to trust Jesus with all our heart and soul and mind and strength today. I want to invite you to stand. Listen, can I just say, this is not a, just a song we sing. This is not the last song, like you can start walking out because the service is over. I know a lot of y'all are new to church, and so you might not know this. But oftentimes, when God does business with a person, he does it in the final three and a half minutes of that gathering. So if you don't have an emergency, would you just hang on for a minute? Because it could be that person in front of you, behind you, next to you. It could be you today that God is saying, today's the day we're going to have that conversation. Because I want you to be free. Amen? Come on. There's plenty of room, by the way, up here to pray. There's a bunch of empty seats that I'm glad they're empty because they'll make a great altar for somebody to just bury their face in today and say, God, it's time we have the conversation.